0: And welcome to Vision Baptist Church. Please
1: stand and sing with us at the cross. Alas, and did my Savior bleed? And did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a? to say hello to
2: pass those, give those handouts out. Um, So, as you know, this is our uh, men's session, and uh, we get to do this uh, once a month, and this is my big way of saying the service is going to be different than normal, okay? And uh, so we can take a moment, I got a piece of paper here and a pen, I'm going to take some prayer requests, I'm going to open it up to you to give some prayer requests, then we're going to spend some time in prayer together. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask for your prayer requests, and then I'm going to ask you guys to pray with some of the people that share their prayer requests, ask some of you, the older guys. If you don't know if you're older in here, you probably are, okay? Uh, fine, to get with some of the younger guys and to pray with them. Um, the topic of the night is about the path to manhood. And uh, we're going to, that's going to be our topic. Um, as time allows, we're going to walk through Titus chapter number 2, the first um, eight verses. But I've also asked some of the men here to answer this question to some of our young men in here, which is, what does it take to be considered a man around here? And that's kind of our theme uh, for the night, and so uh, they've given you a handout. Thank you, sir. And now um, let's take some prayer requests. But before, oh yes, before we do, uh, let's have Wayne Cook's going to come up here and share something with you in terms of prayer requests. Some something, something real excited um, about, and he wants to keep the men in the church that uh, pray for him and love him updated on what's going on in his family's life.
3: Well, good evening, and some of y'all may have noticed. Hopefully, you noticed that we haven't been here uh, the last few weeks on Sunday morning. Well, God's given us the opportunity to be preaching at a small church over in Lawrenceville, Georgia, Believer's Baptist Church. Uh, long story short, I called the pastor a few weeks ago uh, just to see how he was doing. He said, well, you hadn't heard about the church? And I said, no, sir. He said, well, I resigned four or five months ago. So anyway, and uh, basically I threw my name in the hat and said I was interested. And so uh, today we had a lunch and afterwards. It's kind of a question and answer. And they're supposed to... Uh, according to their constitution, they have to announce it publicly for two weeks in a row. So, next week, the next two weeks, they'll announce it and then the 28th they will be voting whether uh, to call minutes pastor or not. So, we're very excited. It's a great area. We can continue uh, using our Spanish, start a Spanish ministry over there. It's a very international area. So, uh, we're excited and y'all pray for us.
2: y'all pray for Brother Wayne, we say amen. Amen. That is super, super excited for them and uh, not that far away. So, I hope the be involved, encourage them, get to see them, get behind what they are doing. So if you're taking a list, I would write that down, pray for the Cook family and all that is happening um, at that church and Believers Baptist. Anybody else have any other prayer requests in here before we get uh, praying together? Yes, sir. okay. Alan's brother, really John's a friend, dealing with cancer. And Ron, which is Rick's brother, heart surgery. Anybody else in here? Any prayer requests, things we should know about? We can pray for it together. All right, well, let's take a, a little bit of time in prayer. Typically on Sunday night, we come uh, to the altar. And so we're going to take the next five or six minutes together I'd like to encourage you, um, if you will, and uh, this is definitely something I would never ask on a a Sunday morning, Uh, but I know know you men in here, and uh, it's good for us to be spending time in prayer together. So um, you've heard these prayer requests that were mentioned. When you get together in a group, maybe find two or three guys and pray with, take a moment and share prayer requests one another with them, and then let's uh, take um, some time in prayer. About 5.10, I'm going to come back here and close us in a word of prayer. All right? You guys. Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, you've heard the prayers, and we know that you, being all-powerful and all-knowing, Lord, can hear from many groups of people at the same time, and Lord, um, hear their prayers, I thank you for a group of men who uh, desire to um, pray for one another, that have brought things before you, we believe that you're a God who hears and answers prayers, Lord, we come to you tonight asking um, for you to give um, the Cook family Brother Wayne wisdom as he moves forward, been encouragement to that church. Lord, we need more gospel preaching churches um, everywhere, Lord, in the area that He mentions. So I pray that you'll be with them, equip them for the work that you have for them. I pray that the church that is there will rally behind what's happening and go forward. And uh, Lord, as a church family to the cooks, I pray that we will be there with them along the way, um, helping. Pray for both um, Ron and also Alan, Lord, that are battling um, health issues. Pray you give doctors wisdom and their lives. Uh, those that are around them will be a, a, a source of encouragement. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Right. Take a moment and find your way back to your seats. It'll take a little bit longer. We saw we had big groups gather up, we had smaller groups gather, but it was good. <laughs> Hudson Bush called Mr. David Burkhardt out and says, I don't think you know my name, you always call me Little Man. And he said, you're Hudson Bush. And so, River Man, River man. Oh, you call him River Man, okay, It said Hudson. So that's good, it's always good when Hudson knows that. Uh, Mr. David knows um, his name. Caleb's going to come up here and he is going to uh, preach for us tonight. He's our uh, five minute uh, preacher. Oh, there you are. And uh, so get your Bibles and let's listen.
4: All right. Thank you. Can you turn to uh, John chapter 7, verse 25? I'm going to talk about uh, bread for life. Have you heard of uh, or seen advertisements uh, like maybe win the lottery, $1,000? every week or whatever for life, or every day, or gas for life. So Jesus says how you can win bread for life. Um, Eating is a driving force for all of us humans, especially us men. We like to eat, and we we need to eat. Um, I'd like to tell you this story about when Jesus miraculously fed 5,000 men uh, with just one boy's meal. So crowds were flocking to Jesus, and um, they were following him around because they were watching him heal people. Um, This is in the beginning of... Chapter six, but um, so he went. He needed some time time away. He went across the across the lake, and went up into a mountain to spend some time with his disciples. And um, he looked later and saw this great crowd of people coming to where he was, and he was like, "Told his disciples, we're in, we're in a wilderness. How are we going to buy bread to feed all this group of people?" And uh, one of the disciples figured up on his hand. He's like, uh hundred pennyworth wouldn't feed this much," and so a pennyworth. Uh, is one day's uh, wage for a, a laborer. Um, so by my calculation, that was like fifteen dollars or $20,000. So he's like, $15,000, that wouldn't be enough food to buy uh, to feed all these people. Um, but Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Um, and he's, he uh, another one of his disciples said, Well, here's a little boy. He's got five, five loaves, and he's got two fish. But you know that's, that's nothing. And Jesus, um, he had a plan already. He said, um, he took the boy's meal and said, you know, I can use this. And he supernaturally divided up that meal to give enough food for those 5,000 men. And then they had 12 baskets of uh, bread left over. So it's a wonderful feeling to be full after you, after eating a meal. Um, the problem is, after that, soon after, we have to eat again. We're not full. Um, Jesus wanted to use this occasion to... Prove and show something to the multitudes of people. So the next day, um, after feeding the 5,000, the people came to Jesus again. Jesus confronted them with their true motive. He said in John 6, verse 25, um, You seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because because you ate of the loaves and you were filled. So he said, you've got a problem. You're looking for temporary fulfillment. You should be looking for eternal fulfillment. Um, Verse 27, he said, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? So they they understood that he was speaking of their spiritual condition, but they did not know that the labor Jesus was talking about was actually um, something... Sorry. They thought that the labor that Jesus was talking about was something that they could actually do to make their standing with God better. Uh, Verse 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God that ye believe on whom he hath sent. So they thought that they could fix their problems themselves. But Jesus said, You can't fix your problem yourself, not in a work you can do. It was only through accepting God's payment or solution, which was Jesus himself. The Jews, well, they did not like the solution that Jesus gave them. They thought they were God's chosen people. Um, They were good enough. They said uh, in verse 31, Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Um, So manna was a bread that God fed the nation of Israel in the wilderness after they came came out of Egypt. And so every day it would fall to the ground, and they would pick it up, and it happened daily. So it met their needs. But Jesus told them the reality or the penalty. He said, Your fathers ate manna in in the wilderness, and they're dead. So the people said, we're good enough. We're chosen. God likes us. We're pretty good people. But Jesus said, you're not good enough. Look, your fathers ate man in the desert, and they still died. Romans 3.23, it says, For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. So Jesus then presented a payment for this condition of being sinful or not being good enough. He said, the bread of God, in verse 33, is he which cometh down from heaven and gives life to the whole world. They said, Lord, give us this bread. Jesus said, I'm the bread. He that comes to me or accepts me shall never hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst. But he said, you've seen me, and you have believed not. The Jews were, again, very unhappy with this answer. They did not want to accept that the Messiah that was prophesied to come was walking, talking, eating, teaching, and he was standing right there in front of them. They just couldn't believe it. Jesus said um, in 47, he said, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you, he that believes on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers ate man in the wilderness, they're dead. This is the bread of heaven which comes down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came from heaven. If any man eat of this flesh, he'll live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. When Jesus said that the bread he would give was his flesh, he's, he was prophesying it was crucifixion, uh, where he would be broken and his blood would be shed as a perfect sacrifice. He was confronting the people who only wanted to use Jesus to meet their temporary physical needs, but they were unwilling to use him to meet their spiritual eternal needs. He said, I am the bread of life. He was saying, accept me. Romans 5, 8, and 9 says, God commends his love toward us. While we were still sinners, he died for us. And much more than being justified or made right by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So what's the process, and how do we accept this bread of life, bread for life? Jesus answered, said to them, John uh, 6, 29, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. The Bible says, Confess and believe in Jesus Christ, and that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. That's Romans 10, 9. And then the next verse says, For with the heart man believes the righteousness, and the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Two steps. Believe on Jesus and God raised him from the dead. In doing this, you are admitting that you are a sinner. Jesus, by his death and resurrection, is the only substitute payment for your sin debt. And then the second half of that step is to confess with your mouth. This is important because in believing on Jesus Christ, you're taking a stand against all other religions, beliefs, or work to give you acceptance in God's sight. The world doesn't like Jesus because they don't know Jesus. So if you want to accept him, you need to be willing to admit and tell others about what you've done. But don't be afraid of this. Believers and Christians are overjoyed when they see and hear of a sinner come to Christ. Amen? Amen. Jesus said that like a shepherd, tells his neighbors how, the, how excited he was when he finds a lost sheep. He says, there is likewise, quote, joy in heaven when one sinner repents. All of heaven rejoices. So there's a wonderful prize that Jesus has promised to all those that come to him. It's bread for life. He says in verse 37, I will never cast him out. In verse 40, he says I will have, he will have everlasting life. So Jesus says that those who are his will always be his and that they will live with him forever. Um, verse 37, again, all that the Father gives me shall come to me, and him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. This is the Father's will which has sent me, that all of which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but raise it up again in the last day. This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Um, If you've never accepted that bread of life or bread for life, please talk to Pastor Trent or any of the godly men here tonight. We would love and be thrilled and praise the Lord to help you make this decision. Amen. Amen.
0: All right, if you would, please stand. We're going to sing, You Made Us Your Own.
1: We were ruined in our sin, we were guilty and undone. When your love reached down with sovereign hands and beckoned us to come, you sought out the wanderers, made the prodigals come home. With a lavish feast you welcomed us, for you made us your own have loved us like you love your Son. We are heirs with Christ, bought by His blood. Oh, how great the love that we've been shown. We're your children now, you made us your own. And you alone can rescue. Who, oh Lord, could save themselves, their own soul could heal. Our shame was. save. You alone can lift us from the grave. You came down to find us, let us out of death. To you alone
5: And so as the um, deacons are getting ready to come and take the offering, or ushers rather, brother Wayne, um, we'll go ahead and pray and then take the offering. I'll give an update on them. Dearly Father God, I thank you so much for this day, Lord. We thank you so much uh, for this evening, for an opportunity to get to learn what it means to be a man who loves you and longs to serve you. God, I pray that you would um, be with us this evening, that you'd work in our hearts. And God, I pray that you with Andy and Lily. Bless them on their deputation trails. And Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so Andy and Lily, our missionaries, going to China. Uh, They've been on deputation since summer of 2019. They're at about 40% or so. And I was praising the Lord for that when I heard that, going through the whole COVID thing. Um, And he said that his calendar is totally booked right now, which I think is incredible. Um, I personally know how difficult it can be to have a book calendar, and I don't know what it's like to do that on deputation during uh, the pandemic, and so that he has that. I know he's uh, an incredibly hard worker. and He's been working hard uh, there in Bristol, Tennessee right now. Another praise is he said that uh, Joy, their little baby, is a fantastic traveler. Uh, that is, she doesn't cry hardly at all. They put her in the car seat, and she's just quiet and content, and that is a tremendous blessing uh, for as much traveling as they have to do. So we're praising the Lord for that, praising that their um, things are going pretty well for them. Then, Lord willing, they'll be getting their support raised pretty quickly. And that when that's finished, Lord willing, there won't be quite as many restrictions. So they won't have as uh, much of an issue as some of our missionaries have had, uh, being able to get to the field. So if you all would please be in prayer for them. We'd appreciate it so much. Uh,
2: thanks today, great job. we turn to the book to Titus. Um, we're going to look at a few verses there. But I've asked for some um, help tonight. And uh, getting some different men to speak on this uh, subject of uh, being a man. And uh, you know that I enjoy uh, teaching uh, the Bible. And uh, Can you hear me? Am I good? Okay. And um, I enjoy teaching the Bible, but the type of lesson we are going to have tonight, I think it would be really good for the young men to see it come from many different men. Because the Bible calls every one of us to live our Christian life um, in a certain way as a, a man. Um, leading our homes and in the community. And I think it's going to help that you get to hear different voices speaking about that. But um, Nate made um, uh, a second ago when he said about the uh, the deacon, it also made me think uh, one of the young men, um, maybe Carlos asked me in the office, he says, why does Greg call you uh, Brother Trent? And so I want to speak to the little kids here for a second. I'm going to get real simple. But I think it's important that our little ones around here... Um, understand uh, why we do some of the things we do, right? And uh, We'll take a moment and kind of explain to them. I told him, he said, why does he call me Brother Trent? I said, well, that's just Greg being nice to me, being kind and being respectful. Because all of us... All you guys, Hamilton, If you, you, uh, as a believer, as a Christian, you're Brother Hamilton, all right? And uh, so I can call you Brother Hamilton. You can call me Brother Trent if you want. When Greg does it, he's just doing it out of, ki- uh, out of respect. Sometimes it kind of gets used like a title, like Mr. around church, right? That's typically how we do it. I'll call somebody older brother. And then uh, earlier, uh, Nate said, here come the deacons, and he meant the ushers. And you can see how that happens, right? Because we're always using titles um, all the time. It's it kind of confusing and so, uh, Carson, uh, listen here, all right, gotcha, all right, Carson, um, Brother Wayne Cook told us a second ago that he was meeting with the church, church is praying about him being a pastor. Well, that is a, an office, that's a, something that a, a church has, and in 1 Timothy 3, it lists out the qualifications for a pastor, the, the church is praying about it, they know what these are, and they're praying for Brother Cook, and he would become the, the pastor of that church. And then... Uh, Hamilton, as you know, your dad's a deacon, and those people help serve in the church as well. That's another uh, job inside of the church that people do. So sometimes we refer to somebody as a pastor. That means they have a certain responsibility in the church, or a deacon. But when we call each other brother, it's just talking about that we're part of the same family, right? And so you are brother, and uh, I am brother, and then we're all called to live as Christian uh, men, Um, I understand what Caleb said he said when he said at the end he said at the end if you don't know Jesus uh, you can speak with a pastor Trent and that would be a good thing to say right because everybody would know who I was because I was just up here a second ago and that's all he's saying is somebody would know but then he said any of the men around you that love God could show you how to know Jesus Uh, because it's every man's responsibility um, in here there's a guy named Titus how many of you guys know about Timothy in the Bible all right, raise your hand. Timothy got the nicer job assignment over Titus, all right, when they were heaven out. Titus was sent to this island, Crete, and it was a tough place. Um, a lot of opposition was going on there. And when you read the book of Titus, you see what is the responsibility. It's build up a church, teach men to preach the word, to, to give sound doctrine, to go against the culture. And um, I'm going to give you a couple of verses before I start having these different men come up here and answer this question. Look what it says in Titus chapter number 2. Uh, verse number uh, 1, it says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter to Titus, and he's saying, in this church, you need to be teaching um, the things which are true Bible teaching, the things that are properly fitting to it. Teach the things that are correct. Our church here, we, we have a lot of Bible teaching. You have the, the Bible Institute, you hear about, you hear about everything. Was always some Bible teaching added to it. You know how at Christmas time, everything they sell also has a Bluetooth, Bluetooth speaker to it? I mean, you get a hoverboard for a kid, it's got a Bluetooth speaker. If you buy a cooler uh, for your drinks, it's got a Bluetooth speaker. They just add a Bluetooth speaker to everything now, right? Because they're so cheap, we're just going to throw one um, on the side of it. Well, at our church, in addition to whatever else is going on, in addition, we're going to have some Bible teaching. Because Bible teaching affects the way that we live our lives. We ought to live in sound doctrine. And sometimes you think there's a disconnect between all that's being talked about and the way you live your life, but the Bible puts them directly connected, which means when you're struggling in an area, you may not recognize it, but you're struggling in an area of belief. You're struggling in an area of doctrine, which is are you going to believe God to be who He says uh, that He is? And so verse 1 it says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. But speak thou things which would properly fit uh, with a sound doctrine. So doctrine, in your notes you'll see here, is that doctrine does divide. But what does it divide? It divides error from truth. It's important. We have better relationships because we are people who want to know what the Bible says. We want to teach each other, we want to encourage each other in what the Bible says. Those who embrace the truth faith will demonstrate certain types of behavior. Look at what it says First 1 Timothy 1.10. For whoremongers, a sinful way of living, for them that defile themselves with, um, with mankind, for, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. So young guys, Hudson Carson and others, Luther, what it's saying is this group of guys that are doing things that aren't like they're supposed to be doing, and we all know those guys, right? Uh, you go to school with them now, and as they get older, you always have a group of people in your life, and you just say, why won't these guys stop acting this way? Why won't these guys act right? Well, what they don't know that you can know, that it really comes down to their understanding of what God says and if they're going to obey it. And that's really where sin is um, its against God, because in all of our sins, it's to say that my knowledge is greater than your knowledge. Romans one twenty eight, and we could have looked at any one of several verses between verses 21 to 28. But in Romans 1, 28, it says, "...and even as they did not re- like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to those things which are not convenient." But it says they would not retain God in their knowledge. Because at the, if you get down to the very bottom point of where sin is at, it is saying, I'm rejecting the knowledge of God. I'm rejecting what the Creator says." And I do not have room, I will not keep that knowledge, but I'm turning to my own way. And so that's why we, even as believers, where does sin come from in our lives? It comes from, we're going to live in a life where there's tons of decisions that have to be made. And we have an opportunity to say, I'm going to choose what God has said from His word, and I'm going to obey Him, and I'm going to worship Him, or I'm going to choose myself, the creation, over the Creator, and I'm going to choose my own way over God, and that's where sin is going to happen. And so in Titus, it doesn't just say, believe the right things and do the right things. It says that we see that they're connected. But it says that people are watching the way we live and they make decisions um, about the Bible. It says if you, do, you know, they're talking in verses um, uh, 3 through 5, it talks about the ladies here. And it says that um, if you don't live these certain ways, then the word of God will not be blasphemed. Luther, you did a great job teaching the Bible the other day. You really did, all right? And uh, so many young men um, have taught at different times in here, and that's a job we should do. But we not only have a job to teach this Bible, we have a job to live it out, right? When people say us, they ought to say, that person seems to live according to a different standard in this world uh, than the one that most people go by. And what is our secret weapon in life is the fact that God has given us a book. So it says that, um, it gives a listing of aged men, and that's what you are. If I ask you to speak tonight, you're an aged man, all right? I don't know how aged you are, but you are aged. And it tells them, these aged men, that they should be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, charity, and patience. And these people do that, in doing these things, verse 4, it says, that they may teach. You should be looking to them. Abraham, hey, Abraham. Hey, good to see Abraham. Abraham, it is God's plan for you to understand how to live out what the Bible teaches by watching your dad and his friends. You know what I'm saying here? I'm not telling you that, they, they, that our life is of greater value to, than the Bible, but I'm telling you is that they ought to know what does the invitation look like for what the Bible teaches? It's the way that his dad and his dad's friends uh, live things out. So it's really important, right? It's just really important the way that we talk around these young guys and they hear and what they see come out of our heart, the way we speak to them, the way we either pay attention to them or we don't pay attention to them because they're looking to us to be a definition of what does it mean to be a man that loves Jesus. I've shared this story, but it's this, this whole theme is something that really ma- means a lot to me. Uh, my stepdad showed me what the world taught to be a man. He taught uh, work ethic and he taught so many things. But there was no joy there. I did not want what he had. I did not, and don't take me wrong here, but whatever he was, I didn't want to be. But then he came home one day and he said, I have cancer. The doctor says I don't have long to live. And what he showed me in about a two-month period was something that said, that's the kind of person I want to be. He wasn't any less a man, but he was a man that followed Jesus. And so, his whole life, he had been only driven by certain things, about gaining wealth and about working all the time. He had no time for nothing else. But when he got that death sentence in his life, when he was there one day, and um, he was already um, starting to think out of his head and not so clear, he bought my mom a car, and he signed the papers to it. And all of it was make-believe. It wasn't happening. But he began to take care of my mom. And I watched that as a little kid. I watched him take steps to care for my mother And I thought, that's the kind of person I want to be. He went to church every service until he wasn't strong enough to stand again. And so I don't remember a lot leading up to that, but I remember standing beside him in church. And I remember him not having hardly enough strength to stand. And I kept thinking, that's the kind of person um, I want to be. Carson, this shouldn't offend you, but you are not a man. You know this, right? Right. You know this? You're okay with this, all right? And so at some point, me telling Carson he is not a man is going to be offensive to him. But at his age right now, he's comfortable saying, you're right, I'm a boy, I'm a young man, but I know that I'm not a man. But the older they get, they want the rest of us to recognize that they are a man. And we ought to make clear to them what that path is for them to be considered a man. Because I said before, who they ask that to, and how it gets answered is going to really decide a lot of things to them. We know what the world tells us it takes to be a man. And you could go and do those things. I rem- uh, my cousin was kind of um making fun of me because he was um, just a few years older than me. And he was about to marry this girl that was about my age. And he says, you know, she's just, uh, she's just been more experienced. She just knows more about life than you know, and I'm like, oh, okay, she's traveled to 20 countries, and she's, you know, I've got to see a lot of the world, you know, and I'm like, so what is it, and he's like, no, she knows, and I'm like, so you're saying, you're saying, basically, she's been beat up more than I have, right, you're saying all these things, and I said, that's not a real fair way to tell me that I don't understand life by that, I got what he was saying, he's my cousin, what am I going to do about it, we're still friends, right, (laughs) and um, and so I don't have to build my resume a certain way, Brett Broderick, I keep going back to you today, all right? Uh, Brett Broderick told just the other night on Friday in here, and uh, we're about to have Brother John be the first one, uh, man to come up here, and then followed by Brother John, we'll have David the boy. Y'all remember this, okay? Ben Mize, um, Wayne Cook, and then Andrew Pe- uh, Pearson, one right after another, another, giving a definition. It's a good thing I'm getting out of the way. My words are running out for the day, right? One after another, explaining one of the principles that take that they believe is found in what it means to be um, a man. But Brett Broderick said he gave an incredible testimony, and the answer to his story was Jesus. Jesus had saved him and did all these things. But he said, you know the kind of testimony I love? He said, I love it to hear when you guys grow up in church and you don't deal with some of the difficulties and the things that I did, and from a young age you begin to serve God. And I want you to know in here, Hamilton, I want you to know in here that as you grow up in this church and as you decide to keep following Jesus... And you, and you read the Bible and you're doing the things that this group of men in here are going to recognize and going to say, he's now a young man, now he's a man, and we're going to see that in you. And because we have the same book that we're trying to live by. All right, Brother Hamilton? All right, so I want you to listen real good. So we got five aged men, all right? Makes them sound like a cheese. We have five aged men who are going to come up here, and they're going to give you a Bible principle of peace that says, according to what I read in the Bible, I believe that these are definitions of biblical manhood. All right, Brother John.
6: All right, we'll start with the most aged of the men. Genesis chapter 6, if you would, just for a couple of minutes. Um, for us to be talking about biblical manhood, we have to talk about a Bible man, right? Because there is just no way that you could be created by God and live up to your full potential as a man unless you know God and walk with God. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, the Bible says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations and Noah walked with God. Walking with God means, first of all, you've got a relationship with God. Um, if you're justified and if there's anything perfect in you, it was all done by Jesus. Uh, there's nothing that, uh, that you could ever do to get to that place. Noah was a just man and he was perfect. And that just means he was perfect, which means Jesus was in him. He was saved and he was uh, God's man. He made you just and everything that's good or perfect about you is, is Jesus. The generations before and after him uh, knew about him and uh, knew his testimony. And though the whole rest of the world, and I mean literally the whole rest of the world, chose wickedness. Noah chose to walk with God, never wavering, never worrying about that. And his family got to be blessed because Noah walked with God, right? And so his testimony was that. The verse right before that, Genesis 6, 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Not because Noah was worthy of grace, not because he did anything that merited grace, um, but Noah was worthy of grace because he sought grace in the eyes of the Lord. Those are really the only eyes that can bestow grace upon a person. With grace came justifications and all the perfections, and I know Christ died on the cross is yet future at that point, but all the perfections and all of the justification would come by christ was accounted to noah in his lifetime noah then submitted his life to the lord and he walked with god chapter 7 verse 5 said he just did whatever god commanded him that's how you walk with god you just do whatever god commands you to do that's how obedience works. god tells us to do it and we do it or we choose not to do it if real men are going to be family men if they're going to really protect their family noah protected his family he got them on the ark I mean, if we're going to be family men, if we're really going to protect our family and live up to the standards of teaching and training them in biblical manhood, then we need to find the grace of God. We need to seek it out only with God. We need to let him justify us, make us perfect, and then every day of our life, we need to just try to walk with God, which means we're Bible men.
7: All right, James chapter one and talk about patience a little bit. Um, before while, I'm, uh, while we're looking at some things, I want you to think about what you think the opposite of patience would be. Now, don't say it out loud, just think about that for a minute, because um, I, I found something the other day that actually John was teaching on our blameless thing that I thought was really interesting that will tie into this. Um, so, James chapter 1, James chapter 1 says this, uh, uh, verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Well let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Um, a couple things about why I picked this virtue for manliness of vision. Uh, first, because the Greek word behind it is one of my favorites. I think it's really cool. And second is because this is something that I really feel like God has been putting his finger on my life quite a bit here recently. So let's talk about the word. Now, I hope your eyes aren't rolling because I said uh, the word Greek, and if you did, I reject your eye roll, and I'm going to (laughs) power through this anyway. Um, The Greek word behind this is actually a compound word, and the root word is meno, which means to remain. And the prefix for the word is huper, which means under, so you put those two together and the word means to remain under, and I really think that that gives us some foundations for what is happening when God says he wants to work this out in us. Um, It really helps us flesh this out. So having patience means more than just not blowing up, and I think that's kind of what we think of as well, I blew up, so I I lost my patience, but there's really a whole lot more that's going on with that. Um, What it really means is that we need to stick with the hard things. And like I said, this really is something that I've been convicted of lately. You know, it's amazing that as, as men, we can, we can very easily see the value of lifting weights. I mean, you go in, you put, I mean, it's, it's, how much can you put on? And you put on, how much weight do you put on? Cooper, you go to the gym, don't you? Okay, how much weight do you put on? Now, you don't have to tell me a pound, but like, how close do you get Give it. What do you? What do you? What do you bench, bro?
2: <laughs>
7: okay. All right. So if you can bench 350, if you're working out, how close do you get to 350 if you're going to be doing some reps? That's what it's like. You gotta, We we understand that very easily. If you're going to go and you're going to exercise and you're going to make gains, you're gonna you're gonna get really close to what you can't handle, right? But when it comes to our relationships, when it comes to our spiritual walk, any frustration, any pain we think is a curse. And that is not what God says is happening here. He even says that when the trials come, what are we supposed to consider those? We're supposed to count it joy. Why? Well, it's not because, you know, Cooper or anybody else that's doing something like that while they're in the middle of it is going... So maybe they are. Maybe they got some pre-workout going on or something like that, right? That's not what's happening here. But what is happening is it's, it's that what we know that there is not going to be any product unless we get close um, to the edge of that. Um, James is telling us here that there is a goal that we need to have, and every piece of suffering brings us closer to what ought to be the prize for us. So, again, what is the opposite of patience? Look at Ecclesiastes uh, chapter seven, verse eight. John brought this up in the blameless thing, and I just thought this was really good because when, when, when he said this, I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. And then I was like, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. Ecclesiastes seven, eight, not John, you know, and even worse, I was, I, it didn't quite make sense with what scripture was saying. But, but think about this. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. And so we have an opposite here of patience of being pride. And you think about that, and it really it really plays out. If you are upset about the trials in your life, it's probably your pride saying that you shouldn't have to deal with this. I feel like that with my kids sometimes. I feel like that with my family. It's just like, well, I don't want to deal with this. I shouldn't have to deal with this. And, and no, 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 we need to deal with this because if we're going to make gains in our walk, if we're going to make gains in our family, we need to be dealing with this. Don't let your pride keep you from making the spiritual gain that God has designed for you. A man stands up, and he takes the weight, and he stays there. I've heard this, and I thought it was really good. Real men do not run from problems. They run to problems. They don't run from problems. They run to problems, and it's patience that helps us to stay there.
3: Proverbs 16, 32. I thought about two verses when Brother Trent asked me this question. And if there's ever a time when biblical manhood is under attack, it's today. If there's ever a time we as fathers and grandfathers need to teach our boys what it is to be a man is today. But I thought about two verses. The first one is Proverbs 16, 32. And uh, I'll be PG rated here, but I thought about growing up. And as Trent said, at one age, you don't feel like you're a man. And then there's uh, a time and when things start happening and changes start happening and you feel like you're more of a man and you want to prove yourself and I thought about growing up in middle school and high school and the locker room conversations and some guys would say that being a man is like they're talking about lifting weights and the more you lift the more of a man you are and, but I know men that can lift a lot of weight but yet they couldn't control herself, and some people say, "No, it's oh, I, it's how much beer you can drink. If you can drink a lot of alcohol, and the more alcohol, tie you can uh, absorb and control your body, it shows you're a man." But I know men that can do that. But yet, we know the end of that's drunkenness. And men talk about uh, you can become wealthy, and they go to college, and they do all these things. But yet, for John, at the end of their life, they're rich, but they that their family leaves them, and many many things after that. But the Bible says something in Proverbs sixteen thirty two: He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. So if you want to be a true, strong man, if you want to be a mighty person, the Bible says we have to control some things. And then the last part of that verse, it says, And he that ruleth his spirit, then he that taketh a city. I thought about some great general or some great ruler, you've seen the old maybe medieval movies, and the general's out there, and he's in the chariot in front, and he has all these men uh, behind him. they go and they conquer a city. Well, guys, the Bible says that if you can control yourself, that you're stronger then you're mightier. You're more of a man, if I can say it that way, Robert, than that good general that can take that city. And so controlling our spirit, controlling ourselves, How do we do that? Proverbs 4.23. Proverbs 4.23. The Bible says, keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it, the heart are the issues of life. How do we control our own spirit? By filling our heart with right things. By filling our heart with the word of God. It's, it's preached here week in and week out. Be men of the book. Be men of the book. Be men of the book. The more Bible I have in me, Brother Chris, the, the, the more Bible will come out of me. And so if you want to be a strong man, if you want to be a real man, and again, it's under attack more now than ever, and we have more, I'll say it this way, we have more male species that are acting less like male species, and they're controlled more by their emotions and act more like the opposite species. Amen. Why? Because they can't control their own spirit. Being a man is being able to control ourselves. We control ourselves by filling our hearts with the right things. A heart full of Bible will have an outflow of controlling the spirit correctly. A real man can control himself, by control, and by controlling himself, he approaches every issue in life not with emotion but with wisdom
0: go to Deuteronomy chapter number 34, Deuteronomy chapter number 34. I'm just going to take this off. I don't know how many of y'all noticed, but those last two songs are really high. So if your voice is like mine and was cracking, I apologize. It's not a good way to start a men's conference by everybody having squeaky voices. But um, Deuteronomy chapter 30. See, here we go. Deuteronomy chapter number 34. And verse number, I'm really going to crack up here. I'm sorry. Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse number 9. I uh, think about Being a man, uh, one of the first things that comes to mind is faithfulness. Faithfulness, the ability to stay faithful to something. And I think of Joshua as a biblical example of of faithfulness. Joshua, the first time we see him in the Bible is in Exodus chapter number 17. He's fighting against Amalek. The Amalekites come out. (coughs) Moses sends Joshua out to fight the Amalekites. He's called Moses' minister in Exodus number 24. Uh, Then you get to Exodus chapters 32 and 33. You see the sin of the people at Mount Sinai. Uh, Josh was not part of that. He was too busy serving Moses and and doing um, things that pleased God to take part in the sin of the nation. Um, Numbers 34, Joshua was chosen as one of the uh, people from his tribe to go and explore the promised land. Uh, They were supposed to pick a a, a ruler from their tribe to go out. So here we see Josh was considered a ruler, even at his young age, considered to be a ruler to go out and and explore the land. Um, And then that was Numbers 34. And here we get to Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse number 9. Forty years later... And this is what we see about old Joshua. It says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands upon him, and the children of Israel hearkened unto him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. So Moses this is a chapter where Moses dies. The leadership of the nation of Israel passes from Moses, to guess who? To Joshua, the man who had been faithful, uh, a man who had been faithful to God for four decades now, a man who loved God and served him. And I think of a biblical example of faithfulness, I think of Joshua. When I think of a present-day example of faithfulness, I think of my dad, a man who got saved at a young age, and then he dedicated his life to, to follow and do what was right. He raised nine kids in church. I remember being in church my whole life, from, from the time I was born up till now. And um, that godly heritage, my dad passed to me, and I'm praying it'll pass on uh, to Wesley through the grace of God, I, it's what I want for all my children, to love the Lord. Um, but faithfulness, it's, it's essential. It's essential if you want to live as a man who honors God, because the whole nation might turn against God. That's what happened to Joshua. He went into the promised land. Ten out of the twelve spies came back and said, eh, That's no good. We, we need to go to plan B. In, initiate plan B. We've got to go back and, and find something else. No, uh, Joshua stayed faithful even though no one else would. Only one other person stood with him, but he stood for what was right. You need to have faithfulness because the way that you have to walk might be a long, hard slog through a desert. He spent the next 40 years in a desert. He spent the next 40 years in a group of people that he probably was maybe not the biggest fans of because that was his fault, their fault that he was in the desert to begin with. So you, know, you have to be faithful because you don't know what lies ahead. You don't, you don't know what, what, what trials you're going to have to face in your life. Um, Faithfulness is essential because you might have to suffer because other people have sinned. Um, Joshua should have been enjoying his inheritance for those 40 years. He should have been in the promised land. But instead, he was stuck in a desert with a bunch of complainers, and he could have become bitter. He could have turned against God. And you read the nation of Israel, their history, and it's like up and down and up and down, mostly down, turning away from God. And and Joshua, we find at the end of that period, he was still faithful to God. He was still faithful to God. Through all this, Joshua maintained his faithfulness to God. And when I think about what Wesley needs to be a man, he needs faithfulness. He needs to get saved, first of all. Um, And thank you to all the the people who've been in his Sunday school classes and are teaching. He'll come home and and tell us things about um, the Bible and about salvation that, I didn't teach him. I know Kristen hasn't had a chance to teach him. And it's like, wow, he learned it here at church. So thank all of you for investing in our kids. He needs to get saved and he needs to knit his heart inseparably to God. He needs to tie himself so closely to the word of God that if the word of God sinks, he sinks with it. If the word of God rises, he rises with it. He needs to have his heart tied inseparably to the Bible. Um, he needs to be in a community of men who love God and are willing to call him out when they see him begin to veer off from God. And he's not alone in that. We all need that. We all need to be not just faithful in our own lives, but be around uh, people who are also faithful, men who will be able to help us stay on that path and keep us accountable. None of us know what the future holds other than that Jesus promised we'd have tribulation. That's what he told us. But whether it's tribulation that comes for you or whether it's prosperity, either one has the potential to veer you off from God. Either one has the potential to, to, to push you off the course. A man of God is a, God, a man who has decided that at the core of who he is, that he is a child of God a man of who is a man of god is one who's decided that he will remain faithful to god because that's who he is not because that's fun to do or that's cool to do or other people do it or any other reason other than that he knows that god loves him and he loves god and he wants to walk in a way that honors that he's wholly defined by the fact that god loves him and his life will reflect that belief
8: All right, so uh let's talk a little bit about this, right? I may have read the paper wrong because all these guys are up here. Trent's getting a little nervous right now, and I say, I "May no, have I read the, pa- you the, the Well, way. I didn't change them like those you can talk to those dudes standing behind the lighting board back there <laughs> anyways, not to throw my guys on the bus. I'm sorry, guys, anyways. Um, all right, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, we got, we got a lot of uh, people in different stages of life here, right? We got boys, we got, you know, young men, we've got men, we've got, you know, the aged men, which, you know, we, uh, Sunday school today I did Titus 2, which is very interesting. It's very uh, fitting that it would be, you know, a tonight thing too because, you know, I learned this morning that I now fit into the aged men category, which I'm <laughs> kind of bummed about that. But, I, you know, whatever, college and career class, I guess. So you may think about it, and you're like, well, what, what, when do I become a man, right? Like all the young men in here, I'm sure that you guys are probably thinking, like, when am I officially going to get, you know, my man card, or when do they hand those things out? Is there a ceremony? And, you know, Robert can probably tell you about the uh, African village where they all dive off the, uh, what do they do, dive off like a 40-foot platform, like face first, and then they're approved to be men after that, or they stick their hand in the little ant uh, things that sting them. That's all stupid, right? That's all dumb. We know that, we know that that's not it, Right. <laughs> yeah exactly exactly let 's get rid of all that all that culture. I have a Bible verse here <laughs> there 's a Bible verse here that I think is very uh, is very fitting for uh, for for when that happens right so let 's turn to first corinthians thirteen eleven as paul 's speaking here, he says, When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things you know we're too focused sometimes on the biology that we miss the uh, what being a man is, the the attitude, right? And it's not just attitude. It's attitude, appetite, it's ambition, it's action, right? You can, you can be a man. I mean, I've seen 16-year-olds that I would say, like, that is a great young man, you know what I mean? And I've seen 45-year-olds that I would be like, that is a 45-year-old boy walking around right there, you know what I mean? I mean, I worked with a guy at Papa John's who uh, drove his parents' Escalade to deliver pizzas and lived in their basement. and He was like 45 years old. That's a 45-year-old boy. I'm sorry, just the way that it is. You know, you got to put away childish things, and uh, and that's you know that's what it means to me too. And you know, I, I'm. We, you know, I don't have any sons, right, but I have kids, and in my kids' life, in the same way that my dad did for me, I try to create opportunities for them to grow, right? I try not to to raise them in, the, in like a—I a, try to protect them, but I try not to raise them in a padded— Childhood. You know, I'm very grateful to my own father for that because I never, one time when I was growing up, thought, you know what, I could use a little bit more responsibility right now, or <laughs> you know, <laughs> I really, I really wish he would give me an opportunity for growth. You know, I mean, they were, <laughs> they were there, right? And we need to be doing the same thing for the young men that we have uh, either in our households or in our, in our uh, ministries or that we run into because you know, like Trent said in Titus 2, you know, it's one of the things we went over this uh, this morning in our class, you know, uh, verse uh, 2, that the aged man be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. Obviously, that's step one. Us as, you know, uh, myself as an aged man and anyone else who wants to take on the aged man category in here, first we got to get that B level, right? And then there's the, uh, the, the do level, right? Uh, verse 6, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, right? There's things that we should, opportunities that we should create, things that we should do to raise up the next generation of men because, you know, we're not going to live here on this earth forever, and we need to have men that will follow in our footsteps and serve God and do the things that, uh, that, that should be done to, uh, to honor, you know, for, for his glory and for his kingdom, so, you know, you ask, when do you, when do you become a man, right? I mean, all you boys in here, all you young men are probably thinking, like, at what point in time does that happen? Well, put away the childish things, embrace the knowledge and everything that you can get from the Bible, from the Word of God first, and then from good quality men, and you'll be well on your way towards that.
2: Amen. That was great. Really glad that Andrew's working with that college and career, and that's exactly the kind of way they need to hear that. We'll just have a couple of minutes, and we'll end in a word of prayer. But um, how many of you have your name in the Bible, because ne- you have a Bible name would be another way to say it. A few of you do, okay. Uh, Zach's reading a different Bible because Hamilton raised his hand, okay. <laughs> and uh, so if, you, if, you, if my name popped up in the Bible, I would really pay attention. You um, in here, if you consider yourself a boy or a young man, I want you to pay attention because it's going to get... Mr. Andrew just read it, but it speaks about you for a moment, and it... Um, you can make a choice in here. We had a good example. Thatcher. we were told in here by uh, this group in here that a man uh, will be somebody like Noah that walks with God. No better way, better way to protect your family than walking with God. He didn't protect his family by building a boat. He protected his family by listening to God, right? Yeah, right. And so what an example about patience to stick with doing hard things. We live in a world where people quit when it gets hard and people pay the responsibility. We do the hard work, all right? Yeah. If somebody's got to do the hard work. We're going to do it. We're going to lead. That's a manly attribute. Being uh, controlled, not being the self control but being spirit control. like Brother Wayne talked about that, that control that we'd have in our lives. doesn't matter if you can lift 350 pounds, which is very impressive, right? What's impressive is that we have that control um, in our lives and then being faithful to the work that God's given us. And then Andrew just brought us down to a point of decision. You get to decide. Right now, some of you learned that you're age men. Congratulations, okay? Uh, you took on that title. But all of you in here, all right, if you're awake, Henry, I want you to hear this, all right? <laughs> oh, Henry, all right? Henry's going to miss this, all right? When all these boys grow up, they're like, Henry, what was happening when you heard that lesson about being a man? I must have slept through it, okay? <laughs> a little. T- um, but all you boys in here get to make a choice right now. Do you want to be a boy or do you want to be a young man? Every one of you can be a young man right now. You really can be. You can make a decision that says, I want to do all those things to the ability that I have, right? You're not going to pay your parents' house payment this week. You're not going to take on those big responsibilities. But with the responsibilities that you're given, right now you're a young man. And so even though your name may not be in the Bible, unless you're Abraham over here, but young man is in the Bible and it says it, 2 6... And a green is not a good color of Scripture for a handout, is it? If you're following along. Uh, Titus 2.6 says, Young men, so I'm talking about all you young men in here. Are you listening? Young men, likewise, exhort to be sober-minded, to be serious-minded about the things you should be serious-minded about, and all things showing thyself a pattern of good works. Then right after that, it says, In doctrine, showing an uncorruptness and gravity in speech. You'll do, the right, you'll do the thing that you know to do is right, and you'll learn the things that you know to learn. And then one of the applications given is that sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil evil thing to say of you. So if you want to move from being a boy to a young man, let me give you one application you can make, as Andrew said about in the do level, is that you're going to live honestly, that your words are going to matter, that you speak the truth. When an opportunity comes, you're going to give sound teaching. You're going to say what the Bible says, that when somebody... Can count on you to give them sound advice and every man in here people are looking to us to give them sound advice your friends are looking to your family's looking to them and so how are we going to do this how are we going to have a pattern of good works is that we're people of sound doctrine we got to know our work we got to know our word now more than ever we need to raise up a generation of young men they're going to know the word and they're going to do things right so every one of you boys in here make a decision right now that you're going to be a young man you're going to take on the responsibility that's in front of you, and you're going to own it. You're going to do right, take responsibility for knowing the Bible. Some of you are old enough now to have your own Bible reading plan and to talk to your parents and say, I want to be reading the Bible for myself um, every week. Would you help me? And you should take on those responsibilities. Don't wait for it to be brought to you. Go and get them. Go and take on those responsibilities. And then the rest of you in here that learn that we're aged men, we have a big responsibility they should be watching our lives. They hear Pastor preach the Bible, and after they hear him, they look around and they say, "But what does that mean in real life?" And then they watch how we live our lives. One announcement: May seventh, the next Blameless conference that we'll have on the books. Just give the conference that apply to the men, and then our staff missionary Andy Smith. That we're given our strategic partner um, is—I just lost it—and our strategic Roberts. partner of the week. Andy Jim Roberts Sr. is right in India, and then we have Burma as the country of the week, or Canada. When the bulletin says one thing and the slide says another, I feel like I'm between mom and dad, because Miss Yvonne gives one and Brother Brett gives the other one, so I don't know which one to go with. Which one are we going with, Brother Brett, Canada or Burma? Dad has spoken. It's Burma, okay? All right. So we're going with Burma. Let's Let's pray together. And I pray that you'll take into account what you've heard tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word that was taught from the men. pray that every boy in here will make a decision to take on responsibility like they should, to to lean forward in life, to say that they want to be serious-minded about the things of God. Uh, They want to be a person that has a good pattern, a good example of work, even in their youth, Lord, that the life that they would live would be an encouragement uh, to others. Pray that every man in here, Lord, will see the responsibility that they have to live out the principles that we're teaching as a church and give good examples to them. in Jesus name I pray amen. Ben.